CRD. This and is the part force two. That often presses us to get things done when we might otherwise get <laughs> bogged down in, in paperwork and bureaucracy, which is the, the way that local government lives. And Vanessa Craig from Electoral Area B on, uh, <clears throat> at the Regional District of Nanaimo, which is Gabriola Island, and also our EA representative to ABICC, and Andrew Black, Deputy Mayor of Sackville, New Brunswick, and, and he of the Shotgun Wedding. <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to stop sharing my screen, then hopefully we can uh, spotlight our three guests and oh, myself. That's good. Uh, and then, so I'm going to start by asking everybody, how did you come to be elected? And, and I'll, I'll go in the order that I introduced you first, which is Darnelda, you're up first. Okay, so do you want me to answer how I got to be elected or how I got to be on the regional board? Well, how you got involved in local politics. What was, what was the path that got you here? Okay, so I moved here from Calgary in 2009. In Calgary, I was involved by community association, did run for alderman out there, was not successful, um, and then moved out here to the Sunshine Coast and got involved with a local organization who was looking to have some people represent a different view on council and suggested I run. So I did. I was told during the election by one of the local residents that there was no way I was going to be elected because nobody knew me, and I got elected. Um, and then in on the Sunshine Coast, in the regional district model here, each of the municipalities appoints a representative to the regional board to represent the municipality's interests at the board, and I was appointed to be on the regional district board. Awesome. Vanessa? Thanks, I have a long and windy road. Uh, I'm actually a biologist by training. I uh, work as a small mammal ecologist working on shrews and bats. And as part of my work as a professional biologist in the province, I decided to get involved with our regulator, which is the College of Applied Biology. It's kind of like the College of Physicians and Surgeons. So it, it's the regulator for professional biologists in the province. And I was on the council. I was the only elected woman on the council at that time. I became the president. Um, and there were after a few years and there were some women on the council who were late members who were appointed by the government to oversee to make sure that we're protecting the public interest which is the whole point of a regulatory organization and they were quite encouraging me to you know think about politics it's like i'd never even thought about it before but i really enjoyed working with a group of people towards a common purpose and so i started paying attention more attention to the local politics and eventually i decided to uh get more um, involved and then uh, a group that I ran against an incumbent and uh, there was a big change in 2018 uh, for 19-member RDN board only 15 were re-elected and uh, a lot of incumbents were defeated and, and uh, yeah that was I was one of them mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. cool. and Andrew um I, well, I, I'm from originally from Sackville, New Brunswick, but my, my wife and I uh, have lived away for an extended period of time. We lived in Toronto for a while. We lived in the States uh, for a good chunk of time. Came back to Sackville about 15 years ago to start a family. I have lots of relatives here. Um, and so after I, uh, we have three kids now, and after I had my first uh, child, I got involved in community groups um, and nonprofits in, in the town and uh, realized that I wanted to see or have some input into the stake in the future of my community. So I got, uh, I ran as a counselor um, six years ago and, uh, and got elected. Uh, so I served for four years and then when the pandemic hit, the province of New Brunswick had asked currently, at the time, currently sitting counselors to stay on for an extra year. Um, usually our election here is every four years. So I actually served five years of my first uh, term on council, and then I got re-elected, and now I'm uh, 
deputy mayor for the town of Sackville. Uh, and also within the last year, I've been uh, nominated as first vice president sitting for UMNB, which is the Union of Municipalities of New Brunswick. So that's a, a municipal body for um, municipal membership within the province that does various things, but mostly lobbying on behalf of municipalities across the province. Now, I'm just going to go over to Vanessa for a moment, because you, you hear from other electoral area directors, so you must have some thoughts about the strengths and weaknesses of the regional district system. Would you care to share any of them with us? Well, I think you've actually already highlighted the majority of the, of the ones that I've heard about. You know, there's a lot of pluses to it in the sense that a lot of our smaller electoral areas wouldn't be able to afford to to run our own governments but um, yeah the, the regional district model compared to the powers of a municipality are um, lesser and that's actually one of the things that the RDN is is trying to work with other regional districts to make a change or to encourage the province to look at uh, giving the regional districts some more powers which if, if I saw your first Present week's presentation kind of outlined them all. The tree cutting, the there's a there's a whole list of um, things for some reason. And and um, when we were speaking with um, the the legal whiz Don Lidstone, who was the one who was involved with uh, drafting it, he said it was just it was always meant to be updated. It wasn't meant to not be updated. It just kind of stopped after the local government act came into into effect. So. Um, yeah, I mean, Moti is a, is a big one, uh, and I think just in general, the ability to control development in your areas is, is one of the biggest issues that I hear, both in our regional district and from others, whether or not it's um, controlling tree cutting or um, having having more control over development. And, and part of this is, uh, at least in our regional district, and you actually touched on this earlier, Donna, is the friction between having either two electoral areas side by side or a municipality and electoral area with different services in each and they're literally they can be across the street from each other and there's so much confusion um you know we have parksville nanaimo Polican beach and lanceville within our regional district so we have four municipalities and um they have sidewalks and they have different services and then then the electoral areas don't so it's uh it's it's it creates confusion and then and then you also touched on this is that the nature of some of these rural areas are changing they're becoming more urbanized especially as the ones that are right outside are, are kind of circling the uh, municipalities and it kind of starts expanding and uh you know uh, area f in the rdn is it has launched a, um, a look at incorporation so we're starting the earliest phases of that and then also area g would like to have a boundary look at a boundary adjustment potentially because if you look at area g it's the craziest thing i don't know how on earth you decided the boundaries of it because it it goes in and out of parksville i went on a tour with the electoral area director and you go in and out of area g between parksville and other area f about four times just driving in one road it's it's just like it's how would they came up on that boundary i don't know <laughs> but uh yeah i think you've you've actually covered the top ones that i've heard about cool yeah i have a few of those too and we all we have different smoke control rules too so there's no backyard burning in the town of gibson's but it's allowed in my area and you know it's funny smoke doesn't actually stop <laughs> boundary so uh, over to you, Darnelda. What do you, in your experience with the STRD, what do you think are some of the pros and cons? Um, I, I would agree with everything Vanessa said and what you said. I think one of the ones that you touched on in your presentation was around the financing piece, and that's huge between a municipality and a regional district. So, in the regional district, you have the various services that you provide, and so they're set up as separate functions, and only the people who actually have the service pay for that service in the municipality you know so then for example if you've got uh we've got general general revenue for water right we've got the main water system in, in on the sunshine coast comes from chapman well gibson's doesn't pay into that um area a doesn't pay into that 
only those who actually get served by that pay into that. Mm -hmm. So if we have, which we don't, but if we had a huge surplus in our water system, we couldn't actually take that money from water and put it towards recreation because different people pay into the recreation function than who pay into the water function. So we tax based on the service, right? And that's why everybody's tax bills are different. In the municipality, because we tax everybody for everything, if we have extra money, um, we're going to pave a road. We pave the road. We have you know a few dollars left over. We could use that to put in streetlights, or we could use it to fix up a park. We can do those kinds of things. We have the flexibility around the financing and the municipal government. And I think that's one of the big things that most people don't understand and makes a huge difference between the two organizations. Yeah, um, it was noticeable during COVID too because uh, when when your budgets suddenly go completely sideways for reasons that you could not have anticipated, you have very little flexibility to, to deal with it. So let's go over to Andrew and find out what's happening in the Sackville. Um, do you have a couple hours? Or... <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's interesting to, to listen to people talk about um, a regional service district, well, we call the regional service districts, I guess, but um, to, to listen to this format because this is exactly what the, the entire province of New Brunswick is going through right now. So um, in October, I'll try to make this really brief, but in October of 2020, the provincial government, who is conservative uh, and has a majority, I should say, in the province, good to know. Um, decided to uh, go start on the path towards uh, local governance reform for the entire province. Um, this hasn't been looked at since 1960, so it's been a long time coming. Um, just to give you some idea about how slow New Brunswick is with this kind of stuff, our uh, our municipalities act, which governs municipal entities within, within the province was enacted in 1975 it was at the time when it was uh, changed in 2018 it was one of the oldest if not the oldest act of its kind within the country so new brunswick is pretty slow with this kind of stuff but the municipal reform had been talked about for years and years and years and finally the conservative government currently um is pushing it through railroading it through honestly um so started October 2020, the, uh, I won't get into all the details, but the white paper, which was their sort of final solution for municipal reform, uh, came out and was released in November of 2021. Legislation hit the floor in December of 2021, and in the beginning of January, we were all in it, whether we wanted to be or not. Um, so currently, New Brunswick has 340 entities. Um, which most of those are, 208 of them are entities that are fewer than a thousand people. And they're gonna pare that down to 77 local governments and 12 rural districts. So it's, it's huge. Um, the amount of change that is gonna be involved in this province is massive. Um, all of it is based around the governments under their belief that it will make the communities more vibrant and sustainable. They use those two words constantly. Um, vibrant and sustainable means uh, a, a particular size of population and at least over $200 million in tax base. Um, those are just numbers they threw out there. Um, so that, that's where we're at. So the, the town of Sackville is um, 5,331 people. Uh, and our, our census actually came out. And so we, we've actually increased quite a bit over the last five years. Um, and we're going to be getting an additional 3,021 population. Uh, and our tax base currently just in Sackville is $662 million. And the surrounding area that we're going to be getting is about $207 million. So those are all lo what's called local service districts, which are all under control directly by the government. They have one representative, the minister of local government. He is basically the mayor for all local service districts in the entire province. Um, it is unviable, untenable. It always has been. Um, and so there's a big push to get representation for those areas, which is great. Uh, but the finer details of it are nightmarish at best. 
Interesting. I, I just looked up a little bit uh, for, for background here. So the, the total population of New Brunswick is 775,000, which is not a huge uh, number of people. And, uh, and Moncton, the largest city, is 79,000, which uh, for local folks here is smaller than Nanaimo. So it there is a dispersal, I think, of small communities across the province. And <laughs> yeah, and it's a top-down solution. Incidentally, uh, regional districts were also a top-down solution. They were not a grassroots, you know, everybody, everybody arose and said, we need regional districts. That that uh, that was not the story. It was it was cooked up by a bunch of experts on government who figured that this was a great solution. And as far as I know, nobody's actually ever sat down afterwards and said, "Hello, does this work?" <laughs> um, you know, you would think that there would have been a, a, a assessment process somewhere down the road to to determine um, how well it's working. So, that was the set of questions that I had started with, um, and I'm wondering if, first off, do any of my panel have questions of each other? <laughs> Go for it, Darnell. <laughs> so, I, I wrote some of the numbers down. You talked about 5,331 people in Sackville, and 3,021 are going to be added. Is that another municipality? Is it an unincorporated area? Like, how are these people coming in? What what kind of process? Are they just told, hello, you're not going to be part of Sackville? Or <laughs> how's that working? Sackville. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. So um, we are uh, amalgamating. Oh, sorry, that's the other thing I wanted to say. This is, the government have, from day one has been called this, calling this a restructuring. Um, in various conversations across the province, um, they, they did do some consultation, to Donna's point, they did some consultation and public engagement. And from those, they came up with the white paper in the end and then legislated. Um, it was restructuring, but they had been asked time and again, none of us want amalgamation. And what are we getting? Amalgamation. Um, so anyway, um, the, the, the entities that we are going to be absorbing uh, are LSDs, so local service districts. There are, actually, sorry, there is a village, sorry, there's one village which actually has a council and a mayor. We have a council and a mayor. They have a CAO, a clerk and a treasurer. We do too, so that's a problem. Um, and then we, and then there's local service districts, which typically are uh, rural-er. Sackville is a rural community, but the local service districts are rural-er than we are. Um, and they are currently under control by the uh, Minister of Local Government and uh, Local Governance Reform. Um, I'll throw one out. One of the problems that we have in BC across the province is our volunteer fire departments, many of which are very small, and the legislative requirements of these uh, fire departments keeps increasing. Uh, in terms of the equipment they're supposed to have, the training they're supposed to have, and and so forth. And it's there's there's a bit of a well, if Len's still here, he could speak to it. There's a little bit of a taxpayer revolt going on right now in in Egmont because they need a bunch of new fire equipment, and there's not very many taxpayers paying for it, so they're having sticker shock. Um, I don't know if you're having similar challenges over in. Brunswick. Well, th this is the problem with with this um, local governance reform is that there are lots of uh, there's a timeline and there are points on it that need like stages of it that need to be met and dates that need to be met. But the finer details of how to get there are, are just all we'll wait and see. That's basically where we're at. It's, it's scary. <laughs> And one of those is fire department. Sackville has a fire department, and it is it is robust. I mean, we've sunk millions of dollars into our fire department. We currently have contracts with the local service districts to go there uh, to service them for fire. Um, another LSD close by has a fire department, and the village that we're going to be 
that I'm merging with also has a fire department. So the question is, which fire department, not wins, but which fire department is the fire department? Um, if anybody on this call knows about fire departments, they're all very loyal to their own fire department. So you start, you're going to start getting infighting with uh, other fire departments, uh, level of service. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, and then let's not even talk about the RCMP. The RCMP is also a huge issue within the province and it's going to cause a lot of problems, both, uh, municipally, provincially and federally for the province of New Brunswick. It'll be difficult. Thanks. Yeah, the fire department issue is, is a big one. Um, as you can imagine, I represent actually Gabriel and Mudge in DeCourcy Islands. And so Mudge and DeCourcy both have their own little volunteer um, emergency response. They, they fundraise and they've built their own little fire halls and they bought used equipment. It's astonishing actually what they've managed to accomplish, but they don't qualify for any grant funding because they're not recognized as an official um fire department and then also as you mentioned sticker shock the prices of uh, apparatus is increasing and so at the regional district we've been having more conversations about group buying so we've actually um, identified a preferred supplier through an rfp where all of the different fire departments kind of cooperate to try and get a better price rather than you know uh, lanceville going and buying something and then somebody else going and buying something we try and do it together, which it seems to have benefits for that. But um, the other thing we're starting to have a discussion with, and this goes to part of what was referred to before, is the loyalty to the fire departments. But I think some of even the individual fire departments are starting to see that the costs of these things are so expensive. And so if you look, if you need a special apparatus, you know, but you only need a certain density of them. Where does it make sense to put them in the RDN? Does every fire department need to have this special apparatus or could two or three um, overlapping areas or close by areas kind of share one and it can be deployed if it's close enough. And so I think we're starting to have those conversations now, but it is, it is a tricky situation. Yeah, small water systems too. Uh, they, they are very challenging to operate and in the wake of Walkerton, of course, the, the regulations for, for water systems has increased dramatically. And for volunteers to try to run a water system, they do it in Hopkins Landing. Kaya, do you want but more? it means that there's a volunteer out at 2 o'clock in the morning in a muddy hole if, if a pipe bursts. And that's not, that's not the easiest way to do things. So. Uh, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I, I had a question and this might be really maybe difficult to answer and, and it's, it's probably huge, but so we have been told by the province that tax, uh, people's property taxes are not going to go up. Okay, so the yeah, laughable. The town of Sackville has, uh, it's 1.56 per. Uh, per hundred dollars of tax assessment. That's what our tax rate is. Most of the LSDs that are around us, including the village of Dorchester, which is a, the village near us that we'll be amalgamating with, are around 0 0.98. Um, all of their services, of course, are all covered by the province. So everything from culverts to roads to, you know, you name it, everything is controlled by the government. So we have been told, we've asked this question, of course, time and again, um, what about taxes? The government says people's taxes will stay the same. They will never go up, which I find hard to believe because typically in the province of New Brunswick, it's been a download from the provincial government to municipal governments. Yep. So I believe, I'm pretty sure it was um, Darnelda who was talking about tax rates and level of service delivery. And I'm sure that that's where we're going to get to at some point as, it, as the it's the new on. entity, we're called Entity 40 at this moment. We're, <laughs> we're still Sackville, but our, our entity is a number. Um, we will have to adjust tax rates as a municipality, so looking like the bad guy rather than the provincial government. Um, and, and I just, I wonder if we're going to get to that point at some point where we have to say your tax rate 
your tax rate is this because we can't deliver water or sewer or whatever to you. you. Um, so I wondered if you could speak to that a little bit more. What what does that look like for um, taxation within these regional districts that you have? I think Don, I could probably start with that one and then I'll throw some stuff in. If you want to uh, our, our next class next week, uh, I, I do the Five Horsemen of the Property Tax Apocalypse, which uh, talks about the pressures on our taxes because, of course, we have the infrastructure deficit all the way across Canada. We build everything as if we would never have to repair it or replace it. And uh, I remember there was a there was a move on by the before the last election where the province did a study to see if they could put a bridge to the Sunshine Coast and I forget how many billion dollars that was going to cost um, but I talked to one of the engineers at one of the public presentations and he said if you build a bridge like this this would be a major complex bridge you need to put aside you need to assume that it will cost 5% of the, the project cost per year for maintenance going forward. So if it's a billion dollars, that's uh, uh, that's that's something like 500. I'm sorry, I'm, I should have looked that up. My <laughs> math is awful. Lots of money. <laughs> a lot of money. It's a lot of money every year just to maintain it. Yeah. And that's not even, that's not answering the question of how long is the lifespan of this yeah. thing, right? Yeah. So we've got all this infrastructure that needs replacement. We can't possibly keep a lid on taxes. It, 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 it can't be done. And if we were to incorporate, take over all the rural areas as, as municipal, we would have to fix the roads, which are in just absolutely dire condition. There's billions and millions and millions of dollars in, in uh, identified, I, even, the, even the prospect of having to sit down with Modi and assess the road network and agree on the repairs it need doing because they undoubtedly would know about a lot of the places that, that are not as obvious. We know about all the obvious ones uh, and, and it would be it would be frightening. So to promise people you can keep a lid on taxes is, is um, yeah. <laughs> what do you have to say on, on that, Derek? Um, I, I wanted to go back to how the regional district actually provides services. Because in a regional district, there are certain services like solid waste, um, water, etc., that we are mandated to provide. Emergency services, for example, emergency preparedness. We're mandated to provide. Everything else is based on what the electorate actually tell us they want. And we actually have to go out to the electorate and do an alternative approval process, so basically negative voting or a referendum. We can't start a service without the approval of the residents. And so that the part of that is determining the boundaries of the service, like who's going to get it, who's going to pay into it, what it's going to cover, how much it's going to cost, right? A maximum amount of, of uh, taxation that can happen for that service. So that's how all the services have come to be in the regional district and how they've all come to be different. Um, so, I mean, the, the question I'd have for you, and I'm, I mean, kind of alluded to it, is that you're taking over all of these services for this, uh, what do you call it, local service district, but there's no, there's nothing from the province saying, well, we're going to have them in this condition by the time you take them over. It's just take them over and good luck with that. That's <laughs> kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, so they they have said specific one of the big ones is roads. To Donna's point, like the roads of all of these local service districts are all uh, maintained. I mean, not not as well as Sackville maintains their roads, but maintained by the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure, and they have been forever. And that was one of the big questions from from people as a buy-in for this local governance reform who will be responsible for the roads and the province of government has said time and again we we will we will maintain them we'll plow them we'll keep them and that's all they've said now <laughs> the uh the the thought from most people in the province who are becoming these new entities is that that will sit with the government for a couple of years 
and then slowly that will trickle over to us. Mm-hmm. So the service, uh, uh, you're right, the services of, of these LSD uh, residents are currently uh, covered by the government, maintained by the government, and have some level of service standard that is set by the government. Um, and that's a, that's a scary thing for us. Our levels of service standard for our uh, people who live in Sackville is, is much higher than what it would be in the LSDs. Part of that is because we have a robust budget. Um, but anyway, that it, it, it's it's going to be a huge issue, and I, and I I don't know where it's going to go or what's going to happen. But anyway, thank you for that. You can see there being pent-up demand, too, because that's one of the things that was discussed when a boundary extension of Gibson's was looked at, is uh, all of a sudden the folks in the rural areas might say, oh, well, they have a sewer treatment plant there. Wouldn't it be nice to to uh, extend the, the sewer lines? And uh, Or, you know, look at how much better their roads are. Now that we're in the town, we want you to fix all these up. So... It, 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 it gets challenging. I'm going to open it up now to see what questions other folks in the room might have for us to, to look at. Oh, by the way, I did have one other question. Sackville <laughs> appears to be at sea level. And I've heard that the sea is rising. How are you doing with that? Uh, well, there's only so much we can do at a local level. I'm, I'm proud to say that Sackville is... Um, it has been incredible with climate change. Let's not call it, let's not say mitigation, but um, our climate change initiatives in Sackville have been huge. Um, we have a climate change advisory committee that, that uh, looks at every decision that council makes through a climate lens. We have a climate change coordinator who helps out the town with various tasks uh, and also nonprofit organizations that are climate-based within the community. Did so, you, you know, we're, we've, we've done our own stormwater wastewater orange. management, multi-million dollar projects with retention ponds and holding ponds and all kinds of stuff. But you're right, the floodplain of 10, the flood mapping from 10 years ago is way different from the flood mapping right now. The biggest concern for our area is the little piece of land that connects New Brunswick to Nova Scotia. So Sackville sits right on that corridor. On the other side is Amherst, Nova Scotia. On one side is the Tantramar Marsh, which is a huge, flat, beautiful marsh. On the other side is the Bay of Fundy. And the only thing that's separating (laughs) the Tantramar Marsh from the Bay of Fundy is the CN rail line. And I'm sure there's people on the call who know how wonderful CN is at, uh, at paying for projects uh, to update their uh, infrastructure, but it's pretty negligible. <laughs> anyway, there is a currently a Chicago Isthmus project, it's called. That's the piece of land that connects the two provinces. If there was a, a high enough storm surge and you know that perfect storm situation, um, New Brunswick would be cut off from Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia would become an island. And it would take a considerable amount of time for that water to recede. Uh, there's around $50 million a day that crosses that little strip of land. <laughs> and the provincial and federal government have been incredibly slow to respond. And, and, I, and I'm not trying to take anything away from BC, but what happened in BC recently with the flooding and the disaster that has happened should be a wake up call for these massive climate issues within the country mm-hmm. and it, it always seems that it's oh crap that happened now we better deal with it rather than <laughs> looking at reports looking at specialists to say no it needs to be dealt with now because it'll actually be less money to deal with rather than waiting for a disaster so anyway that's a long sorry a longer answer than you were probably hoping for <laughs> no that's a great answer we've got a stretch of highway or highway 101 our cow path Uh, at Davis Bay that uh, floods. You know, if we get a king tide and a storm, it's underwater and we have to divert traffic. And, uh, hello? And and we don't have control over that. That's at the provincial level. And it's not new. (laughs) Unfortunately for us, there's only one road. So 
we can't divert anywhere. Yeah, so no, you, well... You either go across the Trans-Canada Highway across the marsh or one little dirt road that you can hardly manage, uh, in a, even in a dry season, and that's it. So if that piece of road gets cut off, it's a significant amount of money, uh, locally, provincially, federally. Yeah, we have a similar problem, just not the same uh, concentration of population uh, relying on the road. If the bridge at uh, uh, Chapman Creek washes out, then the coast is cut in half. And we get the ferry, and they get the hospital. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> do we have any questions out in participant land? Uh, Sage? Okay, your hand up. Yeah. Um, um, I was just going to ask Andrew. Um, we've had a situation here. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Great. Um, we had a situation here where the post office. I mean, this wasn't anything what you're going through, but the post office made us change. It's happened around the coast. Change our addresses, um, and but and people were upset about that. Now, if they're making all these uh, local local service districts mm -hmm. um, amalgamate with you, what happens to their like? What's the name of the big? the big one that gets all the little guys and and do they do they, all these people have to take the name or is the government giving you all a name or what happens Boy. to your addresses and your phones and stuff just curious <laughs> yeah well that that's uh that's one of the first questions like one of the big first questions that people ask what is the name of our entity so Sackville will always be Sackville, Dorchester will always be Dorchester, the LSD communities, they'll still be those communities. And what the government has told us, and this was just recently, within the last week, um, if you have mail that's coming to your house, and I live at 25 Marshview Drive, so my mail will continue to come to 25 Marshview Drive, Sackville, New Brunswick. Um, but the someone asked, okay, that's fine, but what about the legal mailing address of your house, right? Dorchester Village, which is just down the road from Sackville, has a main street. So do we. So which main street is the main street? <laughs> um, that question has not been answered. And as for the name of the entity, and that's what they're calling them, they're all entities. Uh, ours is Entity 40. Um, the name of the entity will be chosen by a, uh, there'll, there'll be there'll be some uh, input by the provincial government, but they're, they're actually gonna do some public outreach for the name of the entity. So it could be based on history, it could be based on, my hope is First Nation, um, uh, it could be based on uh, geographical area, we, we just, we have no idea. At this moment, we joke that we're called Entity 40. It sounds like something out of a dystopian sci-fi future. Um, District anyway. 12. Yeah, totally. Oh, so funny. Sarah! So if we have to choose ferry or hospital, what are we going to choose? Yeah, you know, like, we established that smoke, water, and people move between our places. Uh, on Vancouver Island, I've lived in Parksville, I've lived in Comox, and now I live in Tassis, and there's just one road in and one road out, just like the isthmus there. And so one of the things that I've sort of been coming to terms with by living and making my life here is that you get to have choices. You can have a hospital or you can have a ferry, which is like the su supplies, right? But you can't have both. And so like, this is like one of the questions that would for fire department, for instance. We also have this sort of um, continuous uh, catch up to do and not enough people to provide the services that people expect. So there's sort of like the question, I guess, of, well, it's a question of priorities, right? So which priority becomes the top priority? And that's an, an un unanswerable question. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
setting priorities is never easy. I, I actually <laughs> like the suggestion of using what three words for, for naming your municipality. Mm. That, that, that would be fun. Uh, <laughs> I'll address that a little bit. Um, I think that's one of the things that the local governments here on the Sunshine Coast have recognized is that there isn't enough money. And we are all trying to do our own piece in our own place. And so we have actually started looking at a regional growth strategy because we need to answer some of those questions. Where do we, how do, what do we focus on with regards to transportation? Where do we have the density of housing? How do we provide the services to people in different areas? Right now we're in the process of gathering all the, the base data. And then I think you're gonna see, probably after the election, you're gonna see stuff coming out to the community to start asking some of those questions. So that as a, as a, a region, we can do some of that planning because the, the government structure that we have now doesn't allow us to necessarily do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not efficient. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, what Vanessa was talking about too, sharing services or, or uh, procurement, shared procurement mm-hmm. is, is, can be really powerful. The, all the libraries in BC, for instance, have a, a procurement branch and they, they both buy everything. And, and it's awesome. Uh, Lynn? Hi everyone, <laughs> um, I'm in Roberts Creek, West Sam, on the Sunshine Coast. It's been an amazing course, Donna, thank you, and a great discussion, everyone. And um, I really love, Andrew, the fact that you have a climate change advisory committee, because mm-hmm. that's definitely uh, my sort of area of interest, is I love how you said everything that's decided is looked through a climate change lens. I think it's crucial so now we are in a, an emergency. And, and so my question is, do we have that on the Sunshine Coast? Uh, and does Vanessa have that in her region? Mm. Vanessa, do you want to tackle that one? And then I'll... Sure, that's an evolving thing. So we actually did just have a climate action technical advisory committee so the um and i was fortunate to be on it but we actually struck it with um qualified professionals from the greater uh region who could participate to provide advice on some some things we can tackle and we've been doing sea level rise and river mapping um for the last few years so uh we, and we we're developing a social procurement um, thing. And so we're looking at it from the sustainability lens, which goes to just what you were talking about, is that um, climate issues and, and social procurement and sustainability, is, it's got to be baked into all of the decision-making. So for the RDN, we are moving towards that that kind of lens, but it's uh, it does take a while to incorporate it in all of your policies and processes. And it has to be done in a transparent way. So especially if you're looking at procurement, it has to be very clear to whoever might be bidding on your um, projects about how how things will be weighted and what you're looking for. But it's a very powerful thing to be able to do it, but it takes, you have to put it in, um, put in the work to get it set up properly. Yeah, I think at the SCRD, we have been very focused on water. You know, there's nothing like almost running out of drinking water for 25 or 28,000 people that will that will focus your attention. And that checks every box because we need the water anyway, but it also for climate resilience. Mm-hmm. So water is absolutely crucial. So to get our supply in order and to get our policies around water and the pricing structure and all the rest of that done has, has been our number one uh, focus. We have now got a manager of sustainability who is starting to do a lot of the groundwork corporately that has been needed. It, it was done 10 years ago or so. We, we had somebody on a grant who did a lot of uh, basic work and then the grant money ran out and we didn't have that staff, ma- staff member anymore. And this is not something you can do off the side of your desk. Which is, which is how, uh, you know, people have been trying to get by. But if you're serious that you're in an emergency, you actually have to resource it. Mm-hmm. And we're moving in that direction. But it does. It's, there's a lot of policies. There's a lot of thought that needs to go into all of this. 
And then, of course, in the rural areas, uh, we don't have authority over most of it, and we don't even have the data in many cases. Uh, like, part of my stormwater problem is that our creeks are not correctly mapped. So if you don't even know where the water is running, your chances of uh, creating a great policy are not maybe the best. Uh, Darnelda? I recently, uh, within the last year, I'd say, the regional district staff, planning staff, uh, district of Seashell, town of Gibsons, are actually meeting and trying to put some of those base numbers, data kind of pieces together to start moving that forward. We are moving forward with the social procurement. All the regional all the governments here are um, individually doing social procurement. And just within the last couple of months, we had the first joint um, RFP go out. That was between the district of Seashell and the regional district. Sorry, district, yeah, district of Seashell and the regional district. So they're, they're still working out all of the kinks and those kinds of things, but that's, we're doing a lot of that collaborative work which gives us the basis. It also is part of the regional growth strategy piece too, mm-hmm. because we need to look at, you know, where where can you build? You know, if the if the ocean's going to rise a meter, where can you build? Where can't you build? And what are the things that are, are in danger right now? Yep. So lots of lots of work going on behind the scenes. I don't think we're probably at the place that Andrew's talking about yet, but we recognize and staff recognize it's critical, and you know we have to move it forward. <laughs> unmute myself um yeah it, it i mean sackville is in a, is in a unique position and i don't know i guess it's not that unique but we have a university in our town um that allison university so we were able to pull from uh, a, a lot of expertise um from the university and we have a couple of, of non-profit organizations in the community that are climate-based that have been entrenched for a long time so that helped us really. I mean, we already had a foot in the door. Climate change was something that people were talking about within the community. Uh, and, and you're right, Donna, you can't do this stuff off the corner of your desk. So we have a full staff at Town Hall that do everything for operations for the town. But to ask them to tackle something as significant and ever and all changing mm-hmm. as climate change, um, you just can't do it. So having a climate change coordinator has been huge for us. They, they work inter, interdepartmental, so they work all, all around uh, uh, the departments and, the, and staff, and they work with nonprofits that are affiliated with the town of Sackville. Um, so that's been wonderful. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen when the grant money that we have for her runs out, again, to Donna's point. Uh, we'll have to try to figure that out and work it into the budget to keep her, but, um, but the big issue coming forward now is that we are getting being amalgamated with a, a larger population, a population that is more rural than Sackville. And it's not to say that they don't have concerns around climate. Of course they do. Everybody does. It's going to, it affects everything. But their concerns about what about climate change uh, adaptation or mitigation are going to be completely different from what Sackville will be. Um, so. Our climate change advisory committee, they may have to rewrite their terms of reference, they may have to look at their policies and procedures and figure that out for uh, for a population that is not completely on board. So it, it's going to be a challenge. Yep, I can see that. Uh, okay, we're coming down to the end of the hour. Are there any final questions? Can I I'll just... Sarah, I knew that you would come. Well, it's, you know, my last question was non-question, but it, it's important to understand how we're sometimes faced against two things that we both need, right? Then that's how there's like competing priorities that it's like, well, do I drink water or do I eat food? Or do I have a house or whatever, you know? Do I live on high ground? I think that a lot of that stuff is like a place-based thing because like when, let's say... You know, the people outside of Sackville have different opinions than the people inside of Sackville, but then there needs to be this, like, watered-down solution to get to sort of a more consensus-based thing. But um, my kind of question um, that I have is to think about what it would look like if it wasn't a top-down solution, like RDs, like, let's just 
take the whole lid off everything and open it up to say, okay, if this was a bottom up solution and we were the designers of it, what would that look like? Because I know that there's big, uh, this is Vanessa's point in the chat about um, different expectations. You know, some people don't want to have garbage pickup. Some people have a truck to drive their garbage to the dump. Some people don't. Some people want to see a bus to the, you know, hinterland. Some people don't, you know. And so, like, to make uh, make everyone happy, uh, which is maybe the, the least of the people, right? Not necessarily targeting the top people who maybe could make themselves happy by moving, like the smoke in the water. Uh, but how do we, like, what... What would it look like if the the maybe least in our areas, like the villages, not in Sackville, not near the you know university with all the experts, but the sort of farther afield, what would it look like if they were the ones designing it? Thanks. Yes. What if we had control <laughs> of our own destiny? <laughs> that's a that's a huge question, and one I can't answer, but I, I will say um, that you know, I, I'm speaking about Entity 40, um, but the whole province is being put through this. And I can honestly say, sitting in the position that I do as first vice president for UMNP, so hearing from municipalities all across the province, that there are tons of uh, communities that are just gangbusters over this reform. They love it. They're, they're you know, sign me up. Doesn't matter what you do, what changes you make, we want representation. We want uh, we want people to be able to put together a budget. We, you know, they're they're so excited to be able to have representation that they they're all for it. Then you have communities like Sackville, who we are in a mess right now because our council is tearing itself apart. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of councillors who who they don't want to do anything. They don't want to participate. They they're out on the street protesting. Um, it's it's messy. It's really really messy. So um, reform like this would never be easy. Even if it was bottom up, it's not going to be easy. You're not going to please everyone. Um, it's going to have to be pushed somehow. Um, you know, maybe this government could have taken longer than one year because that's what the legislation is right now is one year to have this completely not completely done but at least the entities in place a new council new mayors all of that by july 1st 2023 that's what they've signed up for um you know they could have taken two or three years but i think that they wanted a check mark to say municipal like local governance reform we did that <laughs> and and it doesn't matter how it all went out. but they could have taken two or three years they could have had more public consultation they could have had outreach to lsds the communities that have not had representation in the past should have been the first ones at the table to talk about what it should look like mm-hmm. and that didn't happen totally. it didn't happen mm-hmm. it was all cities and municipalities like sackville that had some input about how it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to wrap us up, but I will say um, that one of the challenges, so the rural population of BC, I added it up, it's, it's, uh, it's approaching half a million people. If the rural areas of BC were a city, we would be the third largest city in BC, but we're scattered. We're all over the place. A lot of the people don't even don't know they live in a regional district or they don't know that their director was elected because they didn't have an election. So we're not together on this. And, you know, the first thing I think we need to do is educate ourselves and get together and represent ourselves better because the cities are the, the ones at the table. They're the ones, uh, you know, driving the policy and the decisions in BC and and we're not in many cases even at the table and so we need to we can do better we can zoom we can meet each other so thank you everyone for coming particularly uh, Darnolda, Vanessa and
coming all the way from another time zone, Andrew. Thank you very much. Uh, this was great, great fun. Mm -hmm. and, and next week we'll have the property tax apocalypse. Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Donna. Thanks, everyone. This was great. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate all the learning. <laughs> with more money, all things are possible. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. It comes down to money, and then, you know, the regional hospital districts. I don't know what discussions you're having, but um, we're talking about wanting to try and develop a tertiary care a hospital in Nanaimo. And. Um, with an estimated cost of over $2 billion, which means that within the regional district, that's over a billion dollars just for the regional district tax. So because well, they have to pay 40%. We have one hospital that has been operating at what, 115% capacity for the last 15 years. So yeah, they, they actually built a whole new wing on our hospital, but they didn't add any beds. So. Mm -hmm. I've heard of that issue before. So the province is, has indicated they'll build a cancer center in Nanaimo, which is awesome. Except our our hospital is beyond capacity already. We don't have we don't have space for the patients we do have now. And if you have a cancer care facility, so people don't have to go down to Victoria or Vancouver, which would be wonderful. But it it also means that there will be patients that will need some in hospital stay and we don't have the ability to to we don't have the beds so they're already putting them in closets and and in the emergency hall room so they started offering oh i think it was about 10 years ago um chemotherapy at our hospital but they didn't increase the staff in the pharmacy mm -hmm. those are really complicated drugs right to 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 uh, put together and handle and and the poor pharmacy staff who were stuck in this this kind of dungeon, uh, they, they were just just struggling. And you know, that's kind of typical, so. That sounds a lot like New Brunswick in a way. I mean, we have, so Sackville has 5,000 people, 6,000 people now. We have a university that has 2,000 students. We have a, a local rural hospital. And just before the pandemic hit, like a month before, probably 300 people from Sackville rallied outside the hospital because the conservative government was going to close its doors. <laughs> and then the pan and then they said, no, we won't. Never mind. It's okay. <laughs> We're all right. And then they didn't close it. So New Brunswick is in a healthcare crisis yeah. right now. Yeah. So we have this municipal reform that's like barreling down on us. And we have rural hospitals all across the province closing down. These are the hospitals that are keeping people alive. Mm -hmm. We have three major cities, and those hospitals are all understaffed and not big enough. And a whole bunch of rural hospitals that, if they actually had people working at them, would help alleviate a lot of that problem. And they, there's just, they have surplus of money over the last two years, and they don't put anything into healthcare, and it just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Yep. Anyway. We should quit. We could go on night. Nice to see you. <laughs> I, I, I got one thing to say, Donna. Yeah. <laughs> if we had unlimited money, they wouldn't need us. <laughs> right. Okay. I like that. <laughs> Thank you, Thanks, Donna. So that was part two of the Sunshine Coast. Uh, regional district and Donna McMahon's class that she puts on uh, a highly opinionated uh, view of regional districts which I learned so much from listening to her and I find the bringing in Andrew Black who's a previous guest on this podcast um, from Sackville, New Brunswick his point of view it really like kind of brings it to how there's, you know, these maybe place-based, like I'm thinking about that isthmus that he, he mentioned, and how if this goes underwater and Nova Scotia becomes a place that you need to get to by ferry, then that means that that $50 million of goods 
can't travel down that road. And I know that that's not the only thing, you know, like I'm sure that there's some things, some procedures, I don't know if it's cancer or childbirth or what have you, even abortions. I think that there's some things you can't get in rural healthcare. We have a health center here in Tassis, but I know that you can't have babies here. So you have to vacate 